0: Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley.
1: And uh, I failed phys ed and English all the way through high school.
2: Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the the dark force here. And
0: Rob Fortress Fortney.
2: But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. All right. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder.
3: Hey, folks. It's Rob Fortress-Fortney, former editor at Multimedia International, former competitive bodybuilder and powerlifter.
1: And good morning or afternoon, whatever the case may be, Iron Radio listeners. This is Charles Daly reporting to you from Heber, Arizona. We'll explain that in just a moment. But uh, we're hoping for the best, and uh, Phil, on to you.
4: Yeah, and this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, um, strength
3: athlete across all kinds
4: of different types, and
1: uh, just all around nice guy again here from Heber, Arizona, at the Jones Cafe. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so uh, we've got uh, we've got Alan Cosgrove with us today, and by the way, I should have mentioned in my bio. Apparently, I'm now a deadlift national record holder, but uh, we can talk about that later. Thanks for coming on, Cosgrove. What's up? Oh,
4: thanks for having me, guys. I'm I'm going to do this in a Scottish accent because you were making fun of me a minute ago for yeah. not having a strong enough accent. So, uh, hope everybody can understand. Make it really
1: thick. I'm Make trying it really my best. Okay.
4: I've been here for a while, though. Cool. It's hard.
1: Man. So, as you can tell, Alan was born in Scotland, and uh, uh, his background is through the martial arts. Most people know about Alan, but uh, um, uh, you know, he, he was initially uh, a martial arts competitor in the sport of Taekwondo and then uh, uh over time uh you know established a fitness business and uh is without question I, I always see Allen in like men's health and, and all the publications he's definitely a sought out sought after uh, expert for a lot of these publications and uh he's authored two books uh, maybe more by the time we uh, get chatting today but he's written the new rules of lifting series uh and uh, I guess there's a third one on the way we can ask about that there's two right now and uh, he, uh, the rest of his time is spent training clients and the staff at Results Fitness. He's also pretty busy on the lecture circuit, as am I, lately. And uh, um, for the past 10 years or so with his wife, Rachel, who we were uh, fortunate enough to speak with last week, he runs Results Fitness in Santa Clara, California, which has twice been named one of America's top gyms by Men's Health Magazine. So that's cool.
4: So, Alan, uh, we just wanted to catch up with you today and kind of see what's new. Uh, cheers, guys. Yeah, as you said, I've done a sort of move from being a a fighter who studied sports science to improve my chances of winning competition to a trainer who helped other people to to now I've almost become a sort of a consultant to other gym owners and uh, and you know fitness uh, trainers uh, more on sort of the, the career development uh, and continuing education side. So it's been a a, a cool. Uh, Cool journey, really. It's just been an interesting... Uh, I never set out to to do anything other than, for completely selfish reasons, learn how to train so I could win more fights. And uh, it's it's interesting yeah. to stand here years later and people care what I have to say. It's very flattering.
1: I, I, I wanted to ask you also about the business development because I'm following you on Facebook and also your wife uh, on Facebook. And uh, I see a lot of posts About your business mentorship, tell me about that. What, how does that work, and uh, who's there? And uh, tell me about how that's working.
4: Well, I think a good uh, rule of thumb in general for anyone who's running in any business is: what do people ask you about? So, what I found over the last couple of years is I was getting less and less training questions and more and more uh, business-related questions. And similar to you, Charles, I'm on the road a lot, so. The The idea of going on a plane again to teach another seminar somewhere just really had very little appeal to me. And I decided to start hosting my. I'd hosted seminars at my gym before, but I'd never taught them myself. So the demand seemed to be there. So we, rather than call it a seminar, we called it a mentorship, where we trainers from really around the world. The last group were, you know, we had one from Ireland. Uh, Australia and New Zealand, and even a guy from Lebanon who all came in. And we just break down how we do things at Results Fitness from marketing to sales to program design so that you can guarantee results to your entire support staff and bottom line, show some good trainers with good technical skills how to turn that into some, some decent income streams. That's so cool.
1: And yeah, I know exactly what you mean with the business development. You know, these things kind of come by, by by happenstance, I think sometimes. But I remember I remember teaching at your facility a long time ago, and you guys were cranking even then. And then I remember some years later, maybe five years—well, yeah, probably five or six years ago—I think you taught at one of my first training summits, and you, I remember you did a talk on uh, body weight training. And I think it was called Your Body as a Barbell, as a matter of fact, and I remember that being one of the more popular talks of the weekend. So, uh, for those yeah, you know, just, man, those who are looking back. for a tip on,
4: a long as, time ago. Say,
1: for those who are looking for a tip to be how to be successful, you know, Alan and his wife Rachel are eternal students, and they're at every seminar that they can possibly attend, and and then now kind of doing more on the teaching end. But go ahead, Alan.
4: Yeah, just it's interesting that I, I don't know if you remember, Charles, we were in a strip mall. And we had like a half a unit really when you first came yeah, home. That's yeah. what brought you in. Well, we're in that same strip mall, but I now have five units, so I have the whole strip mall now. Wow. For the gym. So in ten years we've expanded to it, it's about six hundred percent with because some of the the area has a little uh, bigger square footage. But we're now at it like seventy-five hundred square foot, and I think there we were under a thousand when we brought you in. So it's been it's oh. been a good. It's it just I've been. I've been fortunate enough to do a few things right as far as training people in the gym, and the business has grown as a result of that. So it's uh, it, it's it's really interesting when you look back. I mean, that was probably 2000 that we brought you in. That's, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? So... Look, we don't want to pay for your business mentorship. We just want to get cheap tips. So, like, what's your best tip for people running a fitness facility right now? What's the number one thing you'd like to get across to people?
4: Um, the big mistake I think we made is we don't know what we're selling. Um, there's only three reasons anyone goes to the gym, and that is to look better, to perform better in, in a sport or, or daily life, or to feel better. But when you start digging deep and you ask the why question behind the why, the only reason anyone wants to look better is so they feel better about themselves. And the only reason anyone wants to perform better is so they feel better about their performance. So what we yep. really sell is the, the ability to feel better about yourself. or to It's almost like the, the goal is to deliver happiness, as, as the guys at Zappos.com talk about. That we're trying to sell kettlebells on the front end and think that's what people want. People don't care. They want to feel good about themselves. And once we understand what we're actually selling, it's very easy.
1: You know, when I think about the booming popularity of CrossFit, um, whether you agree or disagree or like it or don't like it, that's why they're successful, I think. They're making people feel better about
4: themselves. Yeah, I think that there's with, with any um, mode of trading, I can pick it apart and, and look at the negative. But I, I choose not to. They're doing a lot of things right. They make people feel good about themselves, and they're bringing them in off the junk treadmills and machines. And they're bringing people in, and they're like, "Here's your here's your workout, and here's your score. Here's how well you did today. There's an instant feedback. It's kind of like the EDT system. Here's the here's the score. This is how much better you got already. And I think that's a, a fantastic model. Like I don't. We can talk all day about what's wrong with Olympic lifts, what's wrong with CrossFit, what's wrong with aerobic training. But that doesn't empower anybody, right? What's right about CrossFit right. Is they do a lot of things right that we can learn from.
1: Right. And, and frankly, I mean, one of the things that we're known for in our facility is teaching things to adult beginners that everyone else says you shouldn't, like strongman and Olympic lifting and powerlifting. And we do it because people feel like athletes. They feel like they've accomplished something. They feel better about themselves.
4: Yep. It's, it, once you understand that that's what we're selling and you're trying to bottle that emotion... Then the, the business side of it is easy. No one wants to do cardio; they want to be lean and feel good. Yeah. Right? No one wants kettlebells. No one wants CrossFit. You were, we're uh, we, for a while there in training. We got really scientific, and we were doing just ridiculous stuff. You know, standing on one leg, a cable rows at a four, six, nine tempo, retracted scapula, and it just became miserable. Like, let's make it fun. You don't have to make fun of it. But have fun while you're you're doing it and and just, you should be looking around your gym and people should be sweating and people should be smiling. I watch guys parking, I go to some gyms and people will park outside and they're walking in, it's like the march of death, like they look so afraid (laughs) to come in. Great,
1: great, great point. I love, I hope people didn't miss the distinction you made to make, to have fun but not to make fun of it, you know. Important distinction.
4: Yeah, the, one of the rules we have at, at Results Fitness is take it seriously but don't make it serious. And that's just our basic rule is that it's just – we know so much more than about everything to do with fitness and nutrition than we knew 10 years ago. And the world is in a far worse physical condition than it was then. So we failed completely with all our knowledge. Right? It, it's not – we don't need more science. We need more doing. Yeah, so get in there and enjoy yeah. it man the strongman stuff is it's an absolute blast for people that's become cardio in our gym right because yeah. of the work capacity element of it it's so much fun and I think it's actually and talk correctly it's actually safer than traditional cardio because we don't get so much pounding and so many uh, rep- so many repetitions
1: yep yeah. yep yeah. I agree oh cool so, um, I mentioned earlier that you have a third, a, a third book coming out in the New Rules, um, yeah. uh, series. Is that? T- tell me about that. When is that coming out? And um, I, uh, why a why a third book?
4: Well, the the basic answer is because people demanded it. So the the third book had, the just to backtrack that the first book was called The New Rules of Lifting, and the the premise behind the book and the working title that that Lou and I had was a new beginner's manual. There hadn't been a beginner's training book in 15 years. Uh, and the idea was that we know so much more now that, that maybe there's some there's some new information we can give to beginners. So it was given the title New Rules of Lifting. The second book was never supposed to be a sequel. It was supposed to be a separate book about training females. But at the last minute, they changed the title to New Rules of Lifting for Women. Uh, huh. And so now you've got a series. And that was never the point. But... Uh we wrote I handed in my programmes for, for new roles of lifting and I was largely a work for hire on that. I was I was asked to write specific programs. I wasn't asked to write what I would do if you came into my gym. So it was a little different. But I delivered what was asked of me. But that was two thousand and four. So it's it's two thousand and ten wow. now. That's that's a third of my career. So my ideas have changed a little bit, so this is the a more current version, and it has a, a slightly bigger emphasis on uh, core training, although I expect it will be called Neurosal Lifting for Abs because it probably sells better. <laughs> now, bet, now, I, I'm pretty sure that's what it's going to be called, but it's, it was, really? the idea was what do you do at Results Fitness now in 2010, six years or a third of my training career later after the first one? Because there's people now, and they'll comment on Amazon that, the new rules are lifting. there's nothing new here. I'm like, six years old, dude. <laughs> like, it was pretty new yeah. when we brought it out. Like, I, I handed it in, I believe, in a... It, it was very early 2004. I don't know when it was published, but I know that's when it was handed in. Yeah, yeah.
1: Very cool. So, uh, you, I... Oh, and I know that you just said that you're trying to uh, get off the seminar circuit a little bit, but don't you do the Perform Better seminars? Or do you have uh, any any stops coming up in the near future? Yeah, I, I do actually. Did,
4: uh... I, when when I say I want to get off to the seminar circuit, that's not really true. I just the idea of being away more weekend doesn't appeal sure. to me uh, as much as it as it used to. But I have coming right. up um, actually next weekend. I'm going to be in Chicago with the Perform Better crew, and then in the beginning of August. I will be in Long Beach with them, and I think that's everything else I have have booked. And I'm going to spend a, a couple of months not travelling as much as I can. So it's uh, yeah, yeah. It, last year I was uh, I think I did 21 seminars, but when you break that down, that's 42 days away from home. That's six weeks. You know, yeah. that, that can get a little tiresome. Uh, let's not talk
1: about this because I have forty seminars scheduled over the next eighteen months. So <laughs> I'm getting depressed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you're you have definitely been out there a big time. So so cool. So did did I catch from you when the new book is coming out?
4: Uh, I think it's coming out. It'll probably be launched around Christmas or in the, in the new year. We've it, I submitted it. That there's the reality of book publishing. By the time it comes out, I'll have changed my mind anyway.
0: Fortress, what is best in life? If you need a break from listening to these barbarians and you want to read something intellectual, check out the library at www.ironradio.org. The feature article this month is about a conference that took place in Canada, an exercise physiology conference, where the researchers were literally trying to answer questions like the optimal number of sets and intensity for maximal protein synthesis and muscle growth. There's other juicy material there, like the effects of cortisol and adding more fat cells to your physique over time, how women recover better than men, and tons more. So if you're interested in reading as well as listening, check out www.ironradio.org and our article library. Thanks.
4: You know, it's, uh, I, I submitted it about, um, about six to eight weeks ago, and uh, I, I expect it will come out six months from now. So. Okay. Right now, it's cutting edge, bang on, what we do at Results Fitness.
1: Alan, a couple of weeks back, a couple of shows ago, we had a, our, our topic of the week was small group training. And mm-hmm. uh, at least I think it was, unless I'm just under-caffeinated here and I'm uh, hallucinating this. But, uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts, because uh, I, I just, and this is just out of personal interest. How, if you're a client at Results uh, Fitness, uh, how likely are you to be in a small group scenario versus a one-on-one scenario? Do you push one more than the other, or
4: how does you, it work? You you are one hundred percent likely to be in a small group scenario. We don't do any one-on-one training.
3: Yeah, I think
4: it's a a business model that doesn't work. Um, statistically, uh, Ursa, which is one of the the health the International Health Racket and Sports Club Association, they've tracked that one-on-one training has a three percent penetration rate which means that of every 100 people that go to the gym, only three do one-on-one training. Uh, by comparison, small group training has about a 50% penetration rate. I can't justify one-on-one. Um, the results are not better if you have a good coach. Like Westside Barbell created monsters in a small group environment. You know, it's it wasn't one-on-one training. It doesn't mean it has to be genetic programming. But uh, I mean, here's the the deal. We sell fitness, and it's it's the most horrible thing in the world to sell. Because here's here's the, the sales pitch, Charles. I'd like you to join my gym. It's fifty nine dollars a month, and all those foods that you like, pizza and pancakes, you're never going to be able to eat <laughs> them again. Right? Monday night football? You like Monday night football? You can forget it because Monday we're doing chess. Because it's chest day. <laughs> We are highly likely, Charles, to injure you in the first six to eight weeks of training. In fact, studies show that there's a 50 to 90% injury rate. Most of the time, Charles, we don't get results. We fail over and over again. You'll be sore most of the time. You'll do back and buys on Wednesday, and Friday you're supposed to do legs, but you'll blow it off, I understand, because everybody hates doing legs only. And any results that you get, if you ever stop, they'll all go away. Now are you in? I need one hundred crazy people who think that's a great idea before I can get three yeah. personal training clients. Like there's the there's the uphill battle of selling fitness, right?
1: So all in, all in that little spiel you just did is like you are the best in the world at that, whatever that is. Um, and that's why this, this is why this is why Alan is busy on the seminar trail because he can do like hours of this stuff, and you just sit there and you're yeah, like, I've oh, got no, I've got absolutely
4: you? zero content. I just have a lot of good slides and funny jokes. But if you want to learn something, <laughs> you need to go to Greg cook's room <laughs>
1: No, if, if you can, if you, I, I mean, uh, you know, if, if you're able to kind of uh, alter people's basic paradigms about this stuff, I think there's a lot of value in that. So, so that's very uh, nice yeah, but, uh, to see. Uh, 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 great, great, great point. That's so, fun. so this all leads back to your initial premise, which is that you know you're not you're not selling the soreness and the injuries and the deprivation. You're selling people feeling better about themselves. Yeah,
4: it. yeah. It's okay. just it's where it, it's an uphill personal training. one-on-one training. I think is just I can't justify it physiologically as being better. I can't justify it as a right. business model, and people don't seem or, to want it.
1: Yeah, or psychologically. And, 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 and I've always made the point that, you know, you know, and you know this being a taekwondo athlete. I mean, athletes yeah. in all sports, the best athletes in all sports are trained in groups, from martial artists to Olympic weightlifters to strongmen to powerlifters. Charles, to, little you know, little uh,
4: kids learning to swim are taught in groups, and they might drown. Yeah. I'm, I'm right. sure that lap pull downs are perfectly safe uh, when you have right. a couple of people doing them. Um, yeah. chemotherapy was done in groups <laughs> and I, I can remember because there was a lady sitting next to me when I had it and she was a pain in my ass and, it, and yeah. unfortunately it wasn't done one on one I just I can't think of anything that's taught in a one on one situation school, yeah. swimming CPR, firearms training yeah. jujitsu people yeah. choke each other unconscious and that's yeah. in a small group so it's a, yeah. a, it, I, I yeah. think it's and the key thing is, isn't it more fun to go with some friends to the gym? Yeah, yeah,
2: of course. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Just hitting on the fun aspect of it that we were talking about earlier—it's
3: much more fun than to do it with several people. I mean, no doubt,
1: no doubt. And and you learn, you know. And not only is it more fun, but frankly, I think you learn faster.
4: Yeah. Well, I think that if if you hired me to get you in the absolute greatest shape of your life, I would want two other people with the same goal because now I've got the social support thing going on, which is one of the key indicators in in anything that you do. There's a massive social support part of it. And that's why Weight Watchers, with with a program that's just based on don't eat as much, is way more successful than a lot of personal trainers because there's a group dynamic there. So if you had to to put your reputation on the line in terms of, of getting results i would I would be happier to do it with a small group training if you, personal trainers if you're listening to this or you know even people are training on their own your results will go up I, I think there was a study that came out of idea that that you first showed me trials where if someone just watched you exercise, you'll do twenty five percent more work or something yeah never mind encouragement or pushing you or 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 trying to, you know cheer you on they're just standing around you and work harder, and that's the power of this.
1: You know, I, I hate to poke a hole in your theory, but I just have thought of an example of something that is not as good in groups as it is.
4: Don't know, be dirty. It's the, uh,
1: no, it's the uh, it's the uh, it's the Indian uh, ceremony in the uh, sweat lodge in Sedona, Arizona. Uh, that doesn't work too well.
4: Yeah, apparently not, okay. right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. Do we have a topic today? Did we ever end up with a topic? No, we're just shooting the. Shooting, the, shooting off the top, I'll oh, say. Still came back. I
2: thought his battery was gone. Hey, I thought the topic was something about the fall of exercise science or something. I
4: don't that's know what's on Facebook. The fall
1: of exercise science? No, yeah, no. We, we,
4: we took that off, though. That was because we had done that before. Oh, I was going to uh, say, I, I didn't know what was going on with that. I saw that on Facebook, yeah. so... Yeah.
1: Hey, hey, Rob, Rob. If you're able to uh, on, on the uh, on the back end there, um, yeah. I think we'll likely to have some questions for and I don't. I wanted to give you time to to get those in as well because Allen has to leave us a little early today. Okay. Are you able to find? Do you want me to give you a few minutes to find those?
3: Are you, you talking me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what questions were you? Were, were they
1: on the board uh, there? On the back end, if you hit questions
2: and then oh, press see okay. all. All right. There could be all sorts of questions for Allen. Oh God help Alan? us! Phillips was going to enter something in.
3: Yeah. Fortress is in for
2: charge
4: t- of the technology. We're all screwed.
3: Oh, you're totally screwed. <laughs>
4: so so where would I going with- and pretend you found the folder and ask me something?
3: Well, where would I be
4: looking for this, Phil? It, it says questions. You hit that.
1: We'll get. We'll give him a second to uh, to yeah. find that. Yeah. Uh, me- while he's looking for those questions, Allen, I'm I'm curious to know. I remember sitting down with you when I taught at your facility eons ago, and you you had some unique, unique nutritional uh, points of view for clients, and one of those had to do with, if I'm not mistaken, uh, being 100% convinced that all of your clients lie to you on their food logs. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, am I right? I, I think that's what you were telling me, if I'm not mistaken. But what, how do you handle nutrition with clients?
4: Well, I like um, I like John Baradi's sort of principle-based stuff. John and, and Mike Rochelle come up with, like, principle stuff. I like that as opposed to saying, eat four ounces of chicken this time. See, most people come in uh, and they're completely freestyling their nutrition. They eat whatever they want, whenever they want. So sometimes if I just increase their frequency, I get all the results that's, that's necessary. I don't even need to look at the quality of their food because it starts to take care of itself if you're eating more often. You tend not to eat as much crap because you're not starving, right? So we start with frequency that's for a couple of weeks. And I'm just like, eat whatever you want, but you have to eat every two to three hours. So, and I, I want yeah. all your meals to be about the same size. So if you want a large pizza for breakfast, that's fine, but you need to have a large pizza two and a half hours to three hours later. So immediately that's right. you, so you change the choices, right? Is this,
1: is this a Berardi concept or is this your concept?
4: This is my spin on, on JB stuff, is that there's, okay. here's the principles – and rather than say, "Here's my ten rules for you to 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 do," we start with one rule every couple of weeks. And what I have found is that that frequency was the thing. Kingpin, that was the one the one thing that when I fixed that, everything worked. So what I have a rule is I don't measure body comp unless you come in with a food journal that's completed. And usually, like what it. you find is. Clients that are getting leaner and feeling good about themselves, they don't fill it out, but they don't hassle me about getting their their body fat checked or their weight checked because they think they've plateaued. People who think they've plateaued or are worried about their body fat are usually not compliant on, on the principles. So it comes down to I'm measuring your progress based on you winging it. That's a pointless measure. The only reason I would measure you is to evaluate how well this plan is working so let me see how compliant you've been now, if you haven't been compliant to 90 yeah. percent you're done yeah. I, there's no point in measuring I, you because anything that happens is a fluke
1: every time i talk to cosgrove i come up with 12 or 14 like unique little things like that like you know i don't take i won't do a body cop unless they have a food line. <laughs> how unique is that by the way, I would like to uh, I would like to announce formally for those who who don't have a uh, purview to this that uh, Phil Stevens is moments away from being bit by a rattlesnake. Uh but anyway, onto the uh, on I to
3: have the some questions here. here.
1: Uh, yeah, let's let, let's do some questions. Uh go ahead, love.
3: Okay. Well, our first one's from Dave from New Jersey. Um question about fat loss versus weight loss. Want a good lifting program with a restricted a diet. He's around 219 pounds. He's sustained a 1,900 net calorie deficit for the past few weeks. And he's seen body weight drop like a rock with minimal lifting, basketball, and running. This week, he started escalating density training. There you go, Charles. I know that you have been uh, seen a 2% monthly decrease in body fat with EDT. What should I expect to happen to my weight on the scale over the next three to four weeks with EDT?
4: You're asking me to predict the future, Dave. I have no idea. I expect you'll get lean and you'll feel great about yourself. And then call me in a month and tell me what the numbers are. I think an EDT fat loss program, if done correctly, with with smart nutrition. Now, the the goal with nutrition is we still want to to keep as much nutrients in the diet as possible. We're trying to deprive the body of energy. We're not trying to deprive it of nutrients. So make sure it's a nutrient-dense diet. The, the reason we, we tell you to do EDT is because it's metabolically extremely demanding. So you'll burn a ton of calories, but it also has a concern for your lean muscle mass. It's going to keep your muscle. So any weight lost under those under those perfect circumstances with enough protein, a uh, nutrient-dense dense diet, and a smart metabolic resistance program is going to be purely from fat. There will be some glycogen and stuff like that, but I would say that you could drop, if your body fat's... Um, <coughs> 20%. Uh, you'll be at 18% within the month, and if you continue that kind of program, you know a 2% loss per month is is very easy to achieve when you're doing a program as smart as that. So I can't predict what happens with your scale. I don't know your your training age and how much muscle you have and and your, your deficit. Uh, a, a 1900 per day deficit seems a little extreme to me. Especially when you're adding training on top of that. That's and and,
1: and I was wondering, I was wondering if he meant uh, 1900 a day or a week. I'm not quite sure.
4: Yeah, I I, I didn't I didn't get that either. 1900 a day is just uh, it, you could yeah. eat way more and still get great results. Because at some point you're going to have to cut your uh, your calories again. It, it's not faster to do it. You don't get faster results by depriving yourself more now. That's not how it works. You know what,
2: let me, let me well, just throw in one thing for this guy, too, is uh, measuring 2% changes in body comp really isn't possible. <laughs> yeah, great point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you drop 3 or 4% or more. I don't think you should be measuring so often that you're looking for 2% changes anyway. S- separate it by six weeks or something like that, you know, and, or yeah. more. 10 weeks and, and don't obsess over it and you know remember that simple calipers are plus or minus 3 or 4% you know and or worse depending on who's doing them so remember th- those measurements
4: aren't perfect yeah that's a great point and try to get the, the same professional with the same equipment at the same time of day right on then I'm one concerned I'm less concerned with what the number is at least I can show some sort of inter reliability at that point Yep. And it, it's just if you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, your body fat's too high, right? There's there's the score. If you, if you look in the mirror and you're like, "Damn, I look pretty good right now," then it's good. That's a good score, right? Because that's all I'm interested in, in doing it. I don't. If you come in and you're feeling good and I measure you and the numbers not what you want to hear, it ruins your day. But you felt good when you came in, so that there's a flaw in in, in measuring it. That uh, I, I would, if I was coaching Dave, I'd ask him, is is the, what's the goal? I, I don't think it's to be, you know, 197 at 9% or 11% be Good and feel good about yourself. So let's pursue that. I think a huge one, too, is just getting people to throw the scale away. I mean, most people don't need it. Unless you're a weight-class athlete, it's worthless. We just did a, you know? a, a promotion at the gym earlier in the summer. Rachel may have talked about it, and we called it the Skinny Jeans Challenge. And the plan was everyone who joined the gym... They had to come in and take a picture in their tightest jeans that they couldn't, they couldn't fasten. And the, the, the goal was if you got down two dress sizes in eight weeks or two jean sizes in eight weeks, you got a new pair of designer jeans courtesy of the gym. And what we found is everyone made their goal. So the average uh, loss was two jean sizes in eight weeks. But what we found was the average weight loss for these women was somewhere around three to four pounds. If they had went by the scale and not by another external measure, they'd have been very disappointed in eight weeks of progress at at two and a half to three pounds of weight loss, you know.
2: But then they're like, wow, I'm down
4: two jean sizes and and I feel good. So it's, other than, as you said, other than weight class athletes, the scale is just just an indicator of everything, you know, how much water you've drank and and so on, you know. Sure. It's just, I don't want to discount it as a tool, but we put far too much emphasis on this stuff.
3: We have two more questions here. Um, All right, yeah, go up. From Travis Gordon. He's in uh, California. Um, in the scope of business, what are the three biggest mistakes you see trainers, both in commercial gyms and private gyms, make on a regular basis and not learn from?
4: Um, one-on-one training is dead. Uh, that's that's the biggest one, not, not embracing the small group model. Uh, secondly, no one hires you for your ability to supervise a training session and count reps. They hire you for your ability to design a program to get them to their goal. Yet most trainers don't charge at all for program design. Like if you go to a gym, it's 70 bucks a training session. You get 10 for for 500 And I'm like, well, that includes program design. They're like, yeah. I'm like, so basically we position program design as free. And free means it has no value yet it's the biggest single thing we can do to make a difference. So not billing for program design or even presenting that in your model is a huge mistake. And I think billing by the session is just a completely ass-backward idea. The, the idea is if I hired uh, Charles for, for uh, to get 10 pounds of body fat off me, and I hired him for 20 sessions, and he did it in 20 sessions – that's great. That's per- that's perfect. But if he did it in ten sessions, he's actually better than somebody who takes 20 sessions. Yet he would make less money on the per session model because we're paying for manual labour as opposed to results. So maybe a membership model per per month, or a a project management model. Where you're like, here's the goal, write the plan. Like you hire a you know someone to build you a house. It, it's based upon the a completion of a task, not based on if he goes slower, he makes more money, although that sometimes happens. So the the three is switch to semi-private training, start offering program design as a separate profit center, and just make it clear that that's that's where your your expertise lies, and then switch your uh, billing model to either a project management or a monthly membership case.
1: You know, this is such amazing information, and all I can think of is, if you're listening to this right now and you own a gym or a facility, uh it would strike me that if you went to one of Allen's mentorship uh programs, you're just going to get hours and hours of this kind of stuff. So uh
4: Yeah, we uh, just had, good, had, good had one job. guy uh one guy went went through it in March and he opened his gym in in uh, April and he did 20,000 in his first month. So that's a pretty wow. good return on your investment.
1: That's not so bad is it. Yeah. That's not- it's funny how people can be short-sighted. They see the cost independent of the benefit. That's it. One of uh, my, uh,
4: my, my friends that I met, a guy called Jonathan Sprinkles, who speaks in the college market, one of his uh, best sayings is, if you're always focusing on the payment, you never can see the payoff. And I really like that. that they're yeah. just, if you think about it, as in, in, that the story I tell at seminars is there's two shoe salesmen who get shipped to a new territory in the middle of the jungle. The first shoe salesman calls back and says, boss, this is an absolute waste of time. No one in this village even wears shoes. The second guy calls back and says, boss, you're not going to believe the opportunities here. No one here even wears shoes. So there's two guys who see the, the same the same situation. Yeah. One person sees the obstacle and one sees the opportunity. One sees it as an investment and, and it's just a mindset shift. So there's a lot of that still. That We spend a lot of time just hammering mindset. With, with business owners.
1: How oh, great. How great. Can, uh do you have, uh, and I, I just think that, I, I know I'm going to get emails from people asking about your next mentorship. Is there one on the calendar right now?
4: Yeah, the next one is going to be in, it's, we just finished one yesterday actually, so the next one will be September and all the details on that are at resultsfitnessbiz.com, dot com. I have no idea how I come up with that name, but there you are. It sounds good.
3: All right, we have a question here from uh, Dave, New Jersey.
4: Again? Again with Dave? All right.
3: No, this is a different uh
4: No, it's the same guy.
3: Oh, okay. So he's doing his EDT training. Uh, he's eight pounds away from his all-time body weight goal. Um, he has a, a very hilly 5K race coming up in six weeks. Uh, he wants to show him he's planning to do one heel workout per week, um, longer run per week. What are your thoughts with the impact on EDT training? Uh, is this too much interference with rest days?
4: What's the, the Chinese proverb a man who chases two rabbits will get catch neither? I think you just need to choose your goal. If your goal is body comp then um, the, the 5k race may, may not. If you want a good performance versus a, a body comp change, uh, it, just pick one and just go after it. So, if your goal is the the 5K right now, I would add in the the hill workout. I would add in some distance work, and I would add in some type of interval work, and I would focus on just getting a great time on that, and put your body comp on on maintenance for the next period of time, and then get back, go after the fat loss stuff hard again. It, it's you you can obviously you can complete a 5K while losing fat, and you can obviously. Uh, yeah, but you're obviously not going to do optimize either, because I, I don't. I think it's just better to pursue one goal at a time, just you know, relentlessly. It's well, worth it.
2: noting too. You oh. know what, For, Rob? You and I talked about that once on an experiment experience episode, if you remember. About I mean, there were some old uh, military studies, and there's some other research on that very idea that you know you can't you can't maximally develop strength or muscle size if you're also doing a lot of cardio or you know if you're running all the time you you know the, the two things like Alan said is, is chasing two rabbits you 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 got to sort of periodize on some level or have some kind of major goal uh, people always want to do two things at
4: once and it's just probably better to chase one rabbit yeah, yeah if you decided that you i mean if you spent 12 weeks training for for a body comp and a 5k then you'll get decent results but i don't think you get as good results at either if you spent a dedicated six weeks doing each, you know? Right on. yeah. Yes, yes. Right.
3: Um, it's from Tom in okay, Hartford, Connecticut. Who in the industry do you follow? What blogs, if any, podcasts do you follow? Thanks.
4: Um, ironradio.org. <laughs> 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 I'm guessing you figured that out. I, I, the, the hardest part now is I think the when I was in college, I did my thesis on creatine that I had to, go to the library and look at the journal and, and open it and see if the article was useful to me and then I had to photocopy it before I, could, I couldn't I could take the journal with me. Now, with the internet, you have at your fingertips this abundance of information. So if you type into Google Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a term that was really unheard of in 1990, you've got a million hits. You, you can't read the information that's already there. So the best skill to have... Is to uh, filter information. So my personal filter is I I listen to more business guys now because that's my focus. So I listen, I read Seth Golden stuff and and things like that. And uh, I, I like uh, it's really more more business stuff that, that I'm reading right now. I don't read an awful lot of of, of training stuff to to be honest. And but most of the I respect most of the guys that are on the Perform Better Tour with me, um, Greg Cook, John Berardi, Michael Boyle, Eric Cressy, and guys like that. And so I, I'm lucky enough to to see them. So uh, anybody who's in the Perform Better Tour is kind of on my radar because there's a lot of guys talking about training. There's not as many guys who actually make a living from having to produce things in the real world. And there's my filter is that I'll. You're you're off my radar if you're not working with real people and getting it done. Then yep. it's just there, you could. There, there's so many good people. You could spend four hours a day just reading their their latest Facebook posts and blog posts, and you never get anything done. So rather than add uh, to the, the list of people that that you should listen to, I would have you aggressively not listen to people. To try to get more things done, it's that one of the the best productivity tips I've ever heard is uh, you. Whenever you say yes to something, including reading a website, you said no to something else. So make sure you're making the best decision each time. And uh, so it's it, there's a sort of out of the box tip for you. Is to actually I don't want to give you any more tips. I want you to I, I'd suggest that you cut the, the the blogs, articles, and people you listen to down by 20% and get more stuff done.
1: And, 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 you know, you have to decide how much of your time should be spent consuming versus producing might be another way to... uh,
4: to Yeah, I I think we're in a a situation where there's so much information that you need to put in this filter, and I wonder if we've actually stifled the growth of new information because we haven't consumed what's already there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's an interesting dynamic, you know, there's... Most people who are, who are tuning in to, to Iron Radio and, and, and reading Charles's articles and, and etc. I don't think they're lacking in information. I don't think there's a knowledge gap. I think it's an, an action gap. Like if you have where you are, where you want to be, is there's a gap, and that gap's called frustration. And the only way to close the gap is through education and action. But so many people are relying 100% on the education side of it. And I think you could, sure. You got to do some stuff, you know.
1: I agree. And, Alan, I know you got to go do some stuff. So uh, before we leave, would you give us just any website or phone numbers or any contact information you'd, you'd like to awesome. put out for Awesome.
4: My, my, my home base is results-fitness.com. That's my gym. And that's the home website. And you can link, there'll be a link to my website on there. And resultsfitnessbiz.com is the, the gym site. Guys, I've had a blast. Thanks very much for having me. Great and a we've lot. had a
1: blast, and, and thanks for spending your time with us, uh,
2: Alan. Really appreciate it.
4: All right. Cheers, guys. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Have a
2: great weekend. Take care. So, Fortress, you pulled it off, man.
4: Yeah, I'm not doing too
3: too badly. Um, do you want to announce uh, the, the contest again, Lonnie? Uh,
2: yeah, I could point everybody to Facebook with that. Um, If you want anybody who's interested in the summer contest, it's kind of funny to talk about this after Alwyn just said stop stop reading and go do. But (laughs) the truth of the matter is, I mean, education is obviously a part of it. Nobody wants a completely uneducated start to their action. So uh, anyway, we're giving away some university textbooks, nutrition textbooks. I'm looking at them right here. i got a stack in my office. Um, June and July, all you have to do in June is – Call Rob, and the phone number is on the website. Let me pull it up here. But uh, call Rob and explain your worst nutritional blunder and uh, what you did wrong and how you fixed it. And then we'll give you a nutrition textbook if Rob likes what you have to say. Here we go. Iron Radio Hotline 206-203-3798.
3: Yeah, we've already got some submissions, so uh, come on, people. Send in your stuff.
2: Cool. Yeah, I'm sure everybody, whether you're a guy or a girl, whether you're a power athlete or you're you're more of a, you know, some partic- particular sport, specific sport, you've got to have some stories, I would think, about something you did goofy when you were a kid or even as a grown-up, and, oh, you realize, you know, forehead smacking later, oh, man, what did I just do there, you know, and then you realize what you did. For example, like, Alan was just talking about just eating more frequently um there's a famous researcher a few years ago Jenkins and he was actually doing research about how the hormonal re- response to eating smaller frequent meals is more advantageous for body comp and things like that. I mean I know he was talking about from a behavioral standpoint but but anyway so that's all you have to do is check out the facebook ironradio.org page or or call 206 203 3798 These are very sweet textbooks since I'm a prof, you know, it's just one of the perks. I get lots of free stuff like this. And, you know, I always hear students grumble, my God, my textbooks cost $100 a piece now? Well, these are free guys. Call and, you know, and tell Rob your story. And then if you give him permission, he'll read it on the air. And so that's what we're going to do in June. I'll give We'll give away maybe two of these, one or two in June, and then another one or two in July. We'll probably change the question in July, though, so heads up. So maybe it's your biggest success or... I don't know. We'll have to talk about that. But for right now, in June, just call your biggest blunder. What was wrong with it? How you fixed it? Um, and you know, maybe we'll we'll discuss it on the air, and you'll win some sweet stuff here.
3: Sweet. All right. And that number, of course, is available just to people who want to leave messages for us. Anyway, if you want to share anything with us or ask us questions or uh, just make a comment, two zero six two zero three three seven nine eight. So I guess that's it for today, guys.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Just. To have everybody go out and out do something. So.
3: Awesome. All right. Thanks, everyone.
4: Have a good one, guys. Sweet.
0: Okay, just wanted to offer a closing segment on alcohol since I didn't get to make any comments last week. I unfortunately had to miss the episode due to some uh, education, research, travel type stuff. Um, I just wanted to share a quick story here since we have a little bit of time on what alcohol does to soft tissue. Uh, When I was a doctoral student, we actually did a research project on this very thing. Um, A colleague of mine, Ron Mendel um, was sort of behind this, but they actually brought us into the lab and got us, some of us, very drunk on vodka. I mean, we tested blood alcohol content, got it to a certain level. It was all very scientific, but the idea would be that half the people were really loaded with alcohol the night before, and the other half were not. And the next morning, they got us up at something crazy like 5 a.m. and had us run downhill on a treadmill for an hour. Now, if anybody's ever done that, uh, you realize that's eccentric training, you know, breaking, lengthening muscle contractions. You know, you're trying to keep yourself from pitching forward. You're trying to break the momentum a little bit. It's very soreness-inducing, and it causes a lot of muscle damage on a sort of a microscopic level. And we measured typical muscle damage markers like creatine kinase, uh, alanine aminotransferase, aspartate aminotransferase, things like that, uh, lactate dehydrogenase. These are enzymes that are normally part of muscle machinery and they spill out when a muscle gets very damaged and sore. Long story short, uh, people responded rather differently. uh, But the people who drank the night before generally had higher markers of muscle damage, blood markers of muscle damage. Uh, throughout the day following that run. So the practical message here, I suppose, is if you're going to go heavy drinking, you've got to seriously think about taking the next day off if you want or realizing that you're going to be more damaging uh, with the subsequent workout than had you not drank the night before. And another quick note I wanted to make, and because Rob was pointing this out as well, there are, in fact, certain feminizing effects of alcohol. Uh, ethanol, which is dietary alcohol, it increases activity of the aromatase enzyme, which is an enzyme in your blood that converts testosterone into estrogen. Okay, Not good, right? Men and estrogen don't mix. So, I mean, there have been some studies, as I recall, you probably using a combination, frankly, of alcohol and marijuana, but where you actually had gynecomastia develop in some of these young guys because their estrogen levels got high enough. So anyway, alcohol and men uh, you know, who weight train seriously don't mix on several levels, rather damaging to tissue uh, damage, if you will, and tissue recovery. So you need to think about that. I mean, the seven calories in each gram of alcohol, you might say, oh, it's just extra calories. We used to joke in college, you know, calories for growth. But pretty hard on muscle tissue and raises estrogen levels at the expense of testosterone, at least to some extent. So, uh, there you go. Alcohol, uh, use some caution. Uh, I'm not a, just say no kind of guy myself. I like a glass of wine once in a while or a nice Guinness stout, but I try to make sure that I understand and I make my collegiate athletes understand that it is not part of a training diet. So Thanks, and that's it for this little additional segment I just didn't want to forget. Nor do I want to forget that Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like Iron Radio, if you like what we do, uh, the education, interviewing uh, industry personalities like Alwyn today, or many of the pro bodybuilders or coaches that we've had in the past, uh, please just click on the Donate button at www.ironradio.org and make a donation. We've had some great donations from people that have kept us going. Thank you so much. Uh, So please visit uh, the website, click on the donation button, or if you like, uh, and it's a similar situation, buy some Iron Radio cool stuff. We've got T-shirts and mugs and things like that, and those things help support the site and keep us on the air. Take care. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified
2: exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.